Stay hungry, stay foolish. Our guest's goal was to create a book and guide that allows us to redirect our thoughts in a positive, focused manner. This book is the culmination. After many years of hands-on research and collaboration with top professors, our guest has put together a 90-day guidebook and journal written for the everyday person to help get their head in the game and see results instantly. This is a combination of a love and passion for fitness, food, science, spirituality, positive psychology, and people all rolled into one. All our habits, everything we want, is because we believe we'll feel better once we have it. We welcome author of Train Your Head and Your Body Will Follow, Reach Any Goal in Three Minutes a Day, Sandy Joy Weston, welcome to the show. Aiden, I am so excited. Thanks so much for having me. This is such a blessing. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I really enjoyed it. And you say the real purpose of the book comes down to one message to heal the self and heal the world. It's all about the extremely powerful connection between the mind, body, and spirit. You know, I feel like I sound like so cheesy at times, Aiden, like I'm so cliche about be the change you want to see in the world. But it's so true. Like whatever you want to see in others, you, you can't change people, right? I mean, it just doesn't work. We tried. Like if you only did this, I would be happy, right? If your kids behaved a certain way, I would be happy. But it's not true. The most you can do is live by example and work on yourself. So that's why I 100% believe that it's all about you. It's never about the other people. And as far as the body, mind, and spirit, you just can't get away from it. I mean, think about it. I mean, you're an athlete. When your body really feels good and healthy and you happen to take your body everywhere, you mentally feel better. All right. Without a doubt. You know, you walk in, you have more confidence. When your head really feels focused and you feel strong and powerful, your body feels better. So it goes hand in hand. Like, what does it matter which one? No, they work together. And then as far as the spiritual, it really doesn't matter if you have a religion or you don't have a religion. It's a matter how you connect to your inner self. So whether... You know, it's from a higher power or you believe in the universal higher being or you go in touch with yourself. When you tap into your higher power, your inner self, you're coming from none other but that powerful place of unconditional love. And when you do everything from there, whew, there's just no stopping what you can do. So I don't see how you get around having all three. Yeah, and I love the way you talk about mirror work. I thought this was really interesting because when you're trying to change yourself and you're trying to improve yourself, whatever way it might be, you need to have some vision in your head. Yes, you need to have a vision board or whatever, but also you need to actually, as you said, love yourself. You need to actually appreciate yourself. And it's not, it's not people say, oh, it sounds so egotistical. It's not. When you have unconditional love for yourself, you end up having unconditional love for others. And mirror work is about being able to look yourself in the mirror and eventually saying, I love you. You know, I love you. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're incredible. And putting no conditions on it. And believe me, it takes a while to get there. You came from a difficult background. So you came from poverty. 
you had difficult childhood. I loved your positivity that you showed as a child, particularly I loved the one where your mother was throwing dishes at you and your brother and you were turned to him and you're like, this will make you great at sports, bro. Aiden, I don't know why, but ever since I was a child, I thought I had five angels watching over me. I thought I was the most special person in the world and that these angels would, you know, help me out and they had a sense of humor. And so coming from a difficult situation, not just with the poverty, but like I said in the book, my mom, about 80% of her life was in a mental institution. There was a lot going on there, but for some reason, I thought I was the luckiest kid. I don't know why. And I was always able to take that difficult situation and find the humor in it. And to this day, I'm not kidding you, and you might want to call me, people will borrow my angels. I'm not, they're like, Sandy, all right, I'm going in for this operation, or hey, I have to speak an engagement, and then we have to make a deal about how long they get to have an angel. They were given to you by somebody or, or various people during your childhood. It's crazy. Like they would, they would just take them on. And I, it, since I was five years old, it was just something, there's no way you could tell me that there was some kind of higher power making sense of this mess. The other thing, just to close off your childhood in a way that influenced you so much, I thought this was really poignant, the message you talk about your dad. So your dad absolutely loving with brilliant intentions for you and wanted to protect you because this happens so much in the world about, as you called our posse, those people around us. But in some cases, it's our parents. And your dad's like, Sandy, you know, it's okay to get married early with your boyfriend and become a waitress. And you turn to him as a kid and you're like, hey, dad, I have way bigger plans than that. You know, I always say that even the people, like there's people out there that don't have great intentions for you. And there will always be those people. And you really do have to check into the people surrounding you and are they lifting you up? Because that's your posse. And it's really important to surround you with people that on those days you can't hold your head above water, they help you. But parents sometimes, even my dad, who definitely was trying the best he could, you know, to love me and give me guidance, you can only go from your perspective. You can only see what you can see. And he, to him, from his situation growing up in poverty, he couldn't even imagine me going to college. And he also, you know, they don't want you to get hurt and disappointed. So the fact that I was like, wait a minute, our waitress is just going to get me money to get out of here and to go to school and do a lot more beyond that. He was scared like that the world was going to disappoint me, but that's because that's what he saw. You know, he saw what it had, you know, it happened to him. And I think it's really, really important to remember that when you're trying to protect someone, Aiden, to me, protecting them from not trying is the failure. For me, if I don't put myself out there, that's failure because you're not going to win every time. I'd rather go blast all the way and some things work and some things not. And so that's what made me try. I'm like, all right, if I don't get to college, I don't get to college, but I'm going to die trying. That thing you talked about your dad. So his context was poverty. His context was life is a struggle. Many of us have context of what life is, mainly due to that posse, the people we grow up with, our parents our livelihood, our education, our religion, whatever it may be that influences us. But just as it takes 
a new habit to replace an old habit. You talk about the apple and pear theory, and I hadn't heard of this, and I think it's really important to call that out, that if we want to change our habits or how we see ourselves, we have to remove the old, but replace them with new ones. It's an old, old study, and it was so simple about, you tell people, you know, they'd say about the white elephant in the room, don't think about the white elephant in the room, you're going to think about the white elephant in the room. If you tell people, let's just start really basic, don't think of a pear, don't think of a pear, they're going to think of the pear. So what do you do instead? You give them something else to think about. So you say, let's think about the apple. And now your attention is on the apple. It's You see it with children. If, you're, if your kids are sticking their finger in the outlet, don't see your finger in their outlet. Don't see finger, they're going to keep doing it. But instead, you distract them and you give them other things to do. Now you're getting their minds off that. And it's the biggest well, I know they mean well, but it's the biggest pet peeve I have a lot of times with therapy, because when you go in, what do you do? A lot of times you just keep talking about the issue. You keep talking about the issue or you talk about, I need you know, to correct this. And I have problems with anxiety, which is a big thing right now. I have problems with stress. I have problems with this. I need to solve it. And all it does, Aiden, is draw more attention to what you don't want. The brain is so smart and the brain is going to give you whatever you think about. So if you keep thinking about what you don't want, you're going to get more of it. So you replace it with what you do want. I was just saying to a bunch of high school the other day, because a lot of times I go into schools to help them. And a lot of it is to deal with anxiety, stress, and depression. And I said, instead of thinking about what you don't want, let's think about the experience you do want. What would you like to see? How would that make you feel? And now I get them off the problem and thinking of other ways they can find solutions. And it carries off to everything in life. You'll catch yourself going, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I want to have a better boss. You know, I want to have a better home. And you start just thinking of all the problems instead of just a slight shift in thinking about what you do want and replacing with other ideas and other positive habits. So this brings us to story because you talk about the importance of our, our story that we tell ourselves. Many of us are full of negative thoughts and it's a brain thing. As you say, we're designed that way for safety reasons. Our brain's trying to be good to us. Its intentions like your dad is to protect us. And it's like, we don't want you to get hurt body. So don't do anything too risky. But you talk about the importance of the self-talk, the story we tell ourselves about the future and about the present. You know, I've been criticized. I would love to hear your input on this because I get criticized a lot. Since I've been little, I decided I was going to tell the story of the life I wanted to have versus the life I was in. So instead of dwelling on like, (laughs) here's a fact, nobody really knew about my life until that little bit came out in the book, Aiden. And that's because my publisher said I was X amount of words short and I had to put it in there. But I thought it was needed to be said for them to really understand my perspective. But up till then, no one really knew. They just assumed I came from, which I never would lie, ever, ever, but they just assumed I came from really happy parents and wealth. If they asked me, I wouldn't have lied. I would just said, well, it was a rough childhood, but I'm very blessed and grateful now instead of dwelling in it. Because I believe the stories you tell yourself is how you're going to see your life. So... A lot of people say, oh, you're living in a rose-colored world, and that's not life, and that's not really what's going on. And I would say, it's not like I don't see what's going on. I just want to highlight all the positive 
that's going on. And what I did for my own life is do that. I would take little pieces of what I had, like for example, my dance, and then envision everything that I could do with the dance. So every day as the drama would go on, I would go, all right, well, what if I did this? And what if I would go to college? And then I would meet all these great friends and then I could get a scholarship and I would just go on and on with this story. And to this day, I still get criticized because it seems like you're digging your head in the sand of what's really going on in your life, but it's not. It's able to see beyond what is in front of you. And I just believe if you sat back and you thought about it, just for one day, I challenge people to think about the stories that are in their head. There's a lot of negative stuff. So ask yourself, does that story serve you well? And if it does, game on. And if not, just tweak it, just tweak it a little bit. I love that. And you asked for my input. I fully agree with you. I talked to a great guest earlier on the show, Aliyah Marr, and she turned my attention to this amazing system in our brain, the reticular activating system that we have. It's called RAS. It's in the base of our brains and it's like a filtering system. I just wrote a piece on it, actually, and it puts the science behind what you're saying. So basically, this system is what's responsible for letting certain information in and blocking other information out. So for example, you could walk past a shop every day of the week, never see it, but then you need to buy a book and that happens to sell that book and you plant that idea in your head and then you will see that shop all the time. Or it's like that idea of, I want to buy a brand new red car and then I see that car everywhere. So the reticular activating system makes that information valid. So then you see it everywhere. And what I found it really like was actually like if for somebody watching Netflix. So if you want to watch a comedy, it will recommend more comedies of similar type. And it's exactly what you're talking about, where if I want to tell myself a positive story, the brain doesn't know if that's happened or not already, especially if I add emotion to the story like you talk in the book. So therefore, it starts mapping out like private investigator. How do we get there? Here's some hints. Here's some fortunate coincidence that will help you get along the way. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because for many, many years, I, because of my life, believed this system to be true, believed that this is the way it worked. But everyone thought I was crazy because there wasn't any science to it and I couldn't prove it. And I kept saying, no, this just doesn't make sense. And the, and the traditional therapy and the, the way they counsel people, I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. But they didn't know. And I didn't have like, where's your scientific proof? And where's, you know, where's your studies? And then when I went to write the book, I was fortunate enough to gather some great positive psychologists and neuroscientists and metaphysics. And they're like, by golly, Weston, you're onto something. And they were able to give me the science to prove what I already no. And you mentioned about the criticism there because there's a quote that you have in the book about the criticism. It's by David Brinkley, the journalist. I l absolutely loved it. I hadn't heard of it before. A successful person is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks that others throw at him. You know, every single day I feed myself with either podcast or journaling or quotes to remind me of how worthy I am to stand in my true power and do things that other people haven't done. I think when you really keep the one big thing, if you really keep working on yourself and loving yourself unconditionally, you're going to take more risk. You're not going to care so much, especially with the social media, what people think of you and the judgment. If you spend time every single day working on yourself and the stronger you get in that, 
then you can go out there and it doesn't matter if anyone else did it. You know what I mean? You're not looking to, I don't like, I always say, oh, why are you chasing somebody else's tail? Why do you keep watching what other people do? Go do your own thing. If it doesn't hit, try it again. But I think it takes every single day reminding yourself to love yourself unconditionally. Going back to the story, you talk about really minor changes that make a huge difference. And they're like compound interest. They just add up over time, all these changes. And one of them was even the slight language you talk about beyond the mirror work. So how, when somebody asks you, how are you? You say, I'm awesome. Or you say, I am fantastic. Because in Ireland in particular, where I'm from, we say, I'm not bad. You, you know, go, how are you going? You go, ah, oh, not bad. And that's not positive, right? And one of the ways I found this out was I played professional sport and I played in France and I went over when I was a student and I was studying French. And when people would go, ça va, which, you know, how are you doing in French? I'd go pas mal, which means not bad. And they'd look at me like I had 10 heads. <laughs> they'd be like, kind of going, that's, that's not what we say over here. And it highlighted to me how, how that's negative language, because pas mal means not bad, literally. <laughs> and they meant, they kind of going, well, why don't you just say good? Yeah, and yeah. it only dawned on me just when I read your book during the week. I was like, I was doing that for years, and it's ingrained into us. And it just shows you how culture and those people around us and the yeah, way yeah, we're yeah, brought yeah. up actually has a, an immense impact on our outcomes. Yeah, you know, I was reading that and I thought, how brilliant of you, though. And here's the thing. Even here in America, people say, not bad. And they say, another one, what do I hear all the time? Uh, you know, same old, same old. I hear that all the time. Same old, same old. And here, I always say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm having a really good day. Or, yeah, it's really going great. It, it's not always great. So sometimes, I, you know, you don't want to. The cashier stop and say, well, you know, it was a sticky wicked, which is my thing that day. <laughs> but I'll say, oh, you know, it's pretty good. But when I say, oh, things are going well, you should see their eyes at the register. They're like, really? Like, they're not expecting that. You know, it's because they're so used to, uh, you know, going along, trugging along. And I can't get people to change, Aiden. I swear to you, I want to know your secret sauce because I can't get them to say, just start saying, oh, it's pretty good. The book is, is the start to get the message out there. And as you said, be the change you want to see. Let's launch into the book and some of the exercises and the system, etc. Each chapter includes a foundation, some storytelling, and then a game at the end to get us in the right headspace. You talk about game plan and here it's the acronym G-A-M-E. I'd love if you shared that. I know. Isn't that brilliant? Duh. Everyone's like, oh, how long did it take you to come up with the acronym game plan? I go, oh, you know, six years. But um, I I love when you can take like the spirituality, like we talked about, and the science and the neuroscience and put it together with everything to have a plan. Because that way, if somebody is connecting more with the spirituality, they'll go more towards that. If it's more like the science and the logic of it, they'll go to that. They're more the fitness buff, they go to that. So you're hitting them at any angle. But my big goal, this is for people that really wouldn't consider picking up a book like that. So everybody can relate, even if they're not an athlete, to sports. So that's why I liked the game plan. And the way it breaks down is what we're talking about is you have G is for your goals, a is for your action plan. Like, okay, you set these goals. Now, what action are you really 
ready to do? And what are you willing to do? And then M is your motivation. Now, this one, I actually brought in the powers to be. And I met with Dr. Peggy Kern, who was at the University of Pennsylvania in the positive psychology department. And she helped me to realize that the M in my acronym is the most important thing. What is motivating you to really want those goals? It's not, I want to lose five pounds. That's not your motivation. That is what's going to keep you going, Aiden, on those days where you really just feel like you can't do it. So that's a really big part to figure out why you want something and not just for fitness. Why do you want a new job? Why do you want a new home? You know, why would you want to meet a new mate? That's a really, really important part. And then the energy level is how much energy are you willing to put into it? So when you go through it, you really want to think about, okay, you know, I'm breaking it down and it makes sense to me and it's something fun and lighthearted. And part of all this then is the journaling. The journaling is absolutely essential part of the three minutes a day. And it was something you developed along with Dr. Kendrick. It'd be great to share that. When you have your game plan, you're also going to create a power statement to go with it. So, you know, you have to have a statement that is going to make you get so inspired that when you think it like, you know, I eat and move to feel great. I can't wait to work out. I love my new job. Like you, it really wants to lift you like so that you can't wait to reach your goal. And it, that's a really big part of it creating. And some people, it takes days to figure out how to create the, the power statement so that you can really do the journals. But the journals itself, doing it for one to three minutes, here's the thing that people will enjoy hearing. So I knew to get people to journal was the most important thing about my book, because when you write it down, you can see it. It helps you stay on task. You stay focused. Plus, they believe 40% of more people reach their goals by writing it down. All right. No matter what it is, hands down, prove it. Okay. But people don't want to take the time. So I created a journal that would only take five minutes. So that's why it took me years to figure it out years like all right little this little that so when they looked at it they would write their power statement and look at their game plan it would take no more than five minutes i sent it out to so many people and most of these people were people that were pretty focused and a lot of them were even in the fitness industry all different walks of life i had them do it i was so excited okay you ready for this aiden a year later you know what maybe two people did it two people they were, they didn't do it and they would start, they would stop, they would stop, they would start. They wouldn't even go through and last 30 days. Well, you can imagine there's my life's work. I was devastated. So Dr. Zeb Kendrick, who at the time I got my master's at exercise physiology at Temple was the head of the department. And I brought him in to sit down with me because I was devastated, you know, and he said, well, Sandy, no one's going to take five minutes a day to change their life in a positive way. I go, what? He goes, they're not going to spend five minutes to change their life. And I said, why didn't you tell me that? And he said, you didn't ask me. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But if you really want to make it to work, it has to take between one to three minutes a day. And so that's when I went back to the drawing board and created things that would just be on a scale of zero to 10. So they only had to make a slash. And I put it back out there. And finally, people did it. You talk here about the seven deadly reasons why people don't work out. I thought this was really interesting. I'd ask our audience to see where you fit in here because 
I've been this person in the past, and I think it's interesting when you see it written the way you do. So I'll list them out. So there's the seven deadly reasons why people don't work out. Number one you talk about is information overload. Two is the all or nothing attitude. Three is the walking stress bomb. Four is it's just another chore. Five is feeling clueless about exercise. Six is doubt. And seven is wallowing. You know what? You're going to be one of them. Which one were you? When I started working out, it was hard to get information. But I was probably a bit more the all or nothing attitude. I wasn't willing to just do like once or twice a week or 10 minutes a day. I wanted to get back to the old days. And this is the other type of person you talk about. So you talk about the types of people. So there's the oh well person, the not for me person, the yo-yo mama, the no time, the content person, the glory days, and then the what's next, give me more type of person. And then finally the enlightened person. And I was pretty much the glory days because I had been an athlete. And then I went through having children, getting into the real world out of out of sport into the real world of work, what it's really like for people and the challenges on your time, etc. And I was harking back to the glory days, kind of going, oh, I'm going to get back to those days for sure. Finally, I think I'm in the enlightened area where I'm, I'm getting it done. It's part of my day now. It's part of my work day every single day. So I just see it as part of getting up in the morning and working out. Yeah, it's in your schedule. So, you know, I want to back up. It's so funny. You and I were talking about like th- some things in the book. And I'm like, wow, um, while you're reading that, I'm like, I forgot about those, but those are darn good. <laughs> you know? But here's the two things I want to highlight about why people don't work out. And these are really important. The top two things, and you mentioned them. Right now, the information overload is so, so there. And it is a big thing for people because they get frustrated. You know, every day we're coming out with a new eating plan and a new workout system and somebody is online telling you or at the gym, this is the only way to get in shape and this is the way to do it and don't eat bread and don't eat gluten and okay, now you can have butter. All right. No, you should be, they're confused and they don't know what to do or you have to work out, you know, and this is the system and this is the only system. So I feel like for the average person, even me, and I do this for a living, it's just too much. And you they keep getting more information. Like people even at work say, I don't understand why I can't get my employees to work out. But it's not like they're inspiring them and giving them simple steps. They just keep giving them more information. Like if you don't do this, this will call diabetes and this is a cause of heart attacks. And, da, 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 da. and they just go, okay, well, this just seems overwhelming in a full-time job. And so they do nothing. And I get it. I totally get it. And then the second thing is we are, you're not the only one, we are all or none people. And because of all the information out there, they don't realize, and I'm telling you this because I did it myself when I broke my foot, five minutes a day makes a huge difference. Just getting up even for a minute from your desk, just taking a break and breathing 100% hands down. You've got to try it. Even if you just walked out of your office, got to the gym and had to get back to your office, it is worth it. I'm telling you, there's no way around it. I would love people who don't do anything, just even move for five minutes. And as far as the information, I want to say to people that tell people that's the only way to do it, because there's so many amazing food plans out there, Aiden, and there's so many 
workouts, there is going to be something that fits you. You you don't have to work out an hour a day, you know, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. Yeah. I'd love for you to build up to 20 minutes and maybe come out a lot of those sugars and sweets, but it's not an all or none thing. That's the game you talk about Warriors Waldo, which is to find which one of those we are. So to identify first, almost like a diagnosis. But then I mentioned earlier on the importance of the words in your ear, the people who who are your mentors or some type of leader in life can actually make a huge difference. But then there's the other thing we mentioned earlier on, which is your posse. And this leads me to another game you mentioned, which I think is really important, which is ringling. I, first of all, the, the, the where's Waldo, when you were listing, who are you? And I want to go back just a second. And you were saying you were glory days. That happens to so many athletes, you know, Aiden, because they don't want to give up where they were. And you understand that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait a second. And you want to try to keep it up. So that all or none thing is like, wait a minute, I was in this shape and I worked out this many hours and blah, blah, blah. And I know even for me, like it was, it's, it's hard because I was a dance major and you just want to do that. And then, you know, reality and not even if you had the time, but your body doesn't want to do the same thing too. And you do have different priorities. So it is, takes a while to get into that space and being so honest of, Okay, this is where I am, and this is the big thing, not judging it, because that's why I have you do this to say, hey, I am the one that, you know, is just content, so I'm never really going to get where I want. Or, yeah, I have been going back and forth and just yo-yoing, is, which is why we make billions of dollars in the industry, because up, down, up, down. Or maybe you are the first one, you know? Oh, well, I've never been in shape. I'm never going to be in shape. I don't deserve to be in shape. And you got to be really honest because that's going to help you once you set that to get the right goal for you and be realistic. And you want to set goals that you see if you, if you do more than them, Aiden, like if you go and you say, okay, I'm just going to work out five minutes every day. And guess what? You did 20. So what? At least you had success at the end of 30 days. So that's really important for that game. Now, the second game Oh my God, people are going to think you're crazy. Like the ringling one. <laughs> you want to pick if you have seven people that are the most positive people in your life that you call up and just want to say all the good stuff. And it's not bragging. Like call them and go, hey, did you hear? And I always like say, I like to get them on the hook by going, oh my God, did you hear? And then you get them interested because everybody wants gossip, blah, 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 blah. And then you say, yeah, I did a great presentation, you know, when I was in Paris or, hey, you know, I had this wonderful dinner, like it'd be that simple. And I love the appetizer and they start cracking up and you just for five minutes go on about all the good stuff to get in that habit. And then you ask them about that. Here's the thing. Some of them may not, you know, have like, yeah, just try it. Tell me some things like, let's just see where you go. If they start telling you negative, you go, okay, Sally Bell, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about it, but that's not what this is about. So let me just chat with you later. Now, some people have said to me, I don't think I have seven positive people I could call or that would play this game with me. And that's when I say to them, okay, then repeat some of the people. So do you think you would have seven people, Aiden? Yeah, for sure. And I call them accountability partners. I've been writing a book and they're people I send the chapters to and they're just positive people who are radiators of energy. But I wanted to share something else that I, I don't know where I got this from. I think it was, uh, I had Richard Fagerlin on the show in his book, Trustology, and he talks about letting go of resentment or bitterness in our lives to move on, to create space for something new to come in. And out of that, the way I interpreted it 
was I vowed to myself that anybody that I had kind of residue with, which was something just didn't sit right with, maybe it's somebody I worked with, maybe it's somebody I played with in the past, whatever it might be, that I would meet them. And I wouldn't go, hey, I want to meet up just because we didn't get on or we didn't see eye to eye. It's not like that. It's, it's just meet them and wish them well. So meet them for coffee or lunch or breakfast or whatever, and just catch up and go, hey, and wish them well. And you don't ever have to see them again, but it's really, really therapeutic to do it. And I've two left on my, that's a different type of list. And for anybody who's listening, who I asked to meet for breakfast, don't worry, it's not, it's not you. <laughs> I'm sure those people don't listen to the show. You know what? That's great. I haven't done that. But that's a great thing to do. And I do believe that when you hold on to anger and grudges or hatred, it's you're harming yourself. So I always say to people, you know, I'm a pretty selfish person. So I like to wish everybody well because it makes me feel good. And like you said, there are people in my life that I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time with, but it doesn't mean I don't send them love. And so for me, it was a big thing. Even when I was around 35, there were some friends that I had to, when I call it, you know, let go into the universe and maybe talk to them once a year, you know, maybe just email them now and then, but I could tell it was draining the negativity and they really weren't truly happy for me. And I had to surround myself with people, not because I was always the uplifter, uplifter, but you know, not that they had to be as pippy skippy as me, but at least not the naysayers. And that was a big deal. It was really hard for me because I was thinking some of those people had been my friends for years and years and years. And as I started growing and, you know, becoming a, you know, just more into my own, I could see they weren't as happy for me. And it's not because I don't even think it's because they didn't like me. It's because they were still where they were. Do you know what I mean? Like they, yeah, they didn't change. I was doing all the changing. But what I do now is every day uh, I do write in my journal and I think of at least five or 10 things I start my day that, you know, to sh show that I'm grateful for. And they're always really easy. And then I send different things to people, whether it's unconditional love, fun, financial freedom, power, whatever. I list a bunch of things. And then on my list, I always make sure to pick one or two people. Like I said before, I call them my sticky Wiccan that, you know, they're not like <laughs> they give me a run for my money. And some of those people you still have to have in your life because without going into diesel, they could be some family people, you know? And so I do that and it's, it's very freeing. Also, another thing I've done in the past, even somebody had me do this for, someone who passed away, like for my mom, who I never really had made true peace with, I wrote a letter Yeah. and someone recommended, even though she had passed away. And at first I thought, I don't want to write that letter. I don't want, I was fighting it forever because it was painful. It was really painful. And when I did, I mean, I cried buckets, but then I did come out the other side. It was a great thing to do. That's a lovely thing to do. And you know, you mentioned there about sending the love. I've a, I have a lovely one to send to share with you was I, you, you were talking earlier on about being the change you want to see and also being that example and to our children in particular, because 
so many of us will give out stink to our kids and have a meltdown with our kids and then give out to them if they have a meltdown but they're learning it from us that's where they learn it from and absolutely uh, and i kind of flipped that on its head so i'm really mindful and catching myself ever doing that but one thing i did with i have two sons nine and five and one thing i did with them one day and they found it really really tough was i asked them who did they not really like in their class and they told Ooh. me and i said okay what we're gonna do now because daddy has somebody in his mind as well we're gonna send them love and the two of them looked at me like i was crazy i said i know this is yeah. really hard it's hard for me as well and i said let's just do it and this is just before bedtime and we did it and my older son the guy he had picked out he then became friends with because i said something amazing will happen we'll do this and something amazing will happen and now he's one of his friends and it only dawned on me actually just when you said it now but there's a thing i wanted to share with you because i love this story and it's kind of what you did with your mom and the letter and letting go and have you ever heard of the coconut trap story no so check this out this is a beautiful analogy for life and moving on it's said that in certain countries when it was legal to trap monkeys may i add a caveat the way they used to do it was they would hang hollowed out coconuts on the tree a monkey would frequent. So they'd hollow it out, make a little room enough for a hand to pass through, and they'd put fruit in it. So when the monkeys would see this, they'd go, great, this fruit, and they'd smell it, and they'd go over, and they'd put their hand in, and they'd clench their fist to grab the fruit. It could be banana, whatever. And even though they could see their possible captor coming to take them away, with their clenched fist, they could not get their hand out of the trap once they put it in, and they would not let go of the fruit. And it's an analogy I use for letting go of those things that are holding us back because we will only be able to escape and move forward if we open our fists, let go of them, and then move on. Oh my God. That's, I love that one. I'm writing that down. I'm going to use that one. I hope you don't mind. No, I'll send it to you. I've written about it, so I'll flick it on to you after the show. But it, God, we're crazy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, sorry, I'll move on. Speaking of food, speaking of bananas, right? You no, wait, talk- wait a minute, wait a minute. So what you said about your kids, I want to add one point, which I know I had difficult with. I definitely believe that when you, like what you, whatever you want to see in the other people, you can't change kids. My, my son's now 15, you know, teenager. So that's all kinds of different, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new world out there as a freshman in high school here, but it's making sure that I'm not, I'm not really trying to change him and who he is and respecting who he is. And, you know, he's way different and yet beautiful and realizing though, of some habits aren't, you know, I think serving well, just let him see what is working for me. But that being said, I am human and you can tell probably I am a very emotional person. So there is times I know I've overreacted or cried or said things that I wish I didn't, but it's okay because we're not perfect. What they have to see is like, I would be afraid to show anger or frustration because I was like, oh, I should know better. Well, duh, you're a human being. And we need to say, listen, you don't have, you know, all these emotions are part of who you are. All of it, you know, feeling hate, feeling anger, feeling frustration, whatever, sad. And it's okay. It's what you do with those emotions to get through them. And I had to allow myself to say, hey, I, mom shouldn't act that way. You know, I'm sorry and move on versus I used to get so mad at myself. 
it's that idea of forgiving ourselves and i agree we're human like and, and our brains are designed that way and again it's that protection thing the intention of our brain is to protect us so it's like don't do risky stuff just remain in the status create habits and stay there for the rest of your life because that's the safest thing to do so i totally get that but i'd love to come back to the food yeah the banana um, <laughs> yeah so so not actually the banana and coconut <laughs> but bananas and coconuts perhaps because you talk about to make changes to make changes in our appearance or our health we first need to change our relationship with food and here you suggest the game see it touch it eat it mm, i love that one so here's the thing And it goes back to what I said, what you think about, you know, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this, and you just draw more of it in. It's the same thing with food. If you think about all, I can't have French fries anymore, I can't have ice cream, uh, you know, all the things, you know, I I shouldn't eat chocolate bars. It just makes you want it more, right? But if you embrace all the foods that you do enjoy, And you can think about every food that's healthy that you do love. There's going to be tons of them. And that's the ones you want to dwell on. And those are the ones that you want to think about. So even if you're not someone like a lot of people eating when they get tired is when you make your poorest choices, right? So as you go on, a lot of people go, oh yeah, breakfast, you know, I had the oatmeal or the yogurt or a piece of fruit and they're great. And lunch, you know, not so bad. But then as it goes on, if they get home from work before dinner is and they're tired, they're going to start making poor choices snack or right before bed. So keep that in mind, you know, just be really conscious, mindful that when you're tired, you're going to make Poor choices, right? Because th- that's just the way it is. But if you had food that you really got excited about and that you weren't like, oh, another salad, but what you could do to make that salad make you feel better, it'll make all the difference in the world. So you want to really, when I eat, I, everyone laughs at me, I take a really long to eat. And I also set it up so that I'm excited about it. Like the way I I sit down, where my fork is, where my knife is. Um, I really embrace the food and I'm grateful for it. And then I ask myself before I eat it, do I really want this? Is this going to serve me well? Do I really feel good about this. I just take a second, you know what I mean? To really embrace it and feel good about it. Just that one second. And then if I still wanted that little ice cream, I probably would have it. But you see, just taking a step back, like at the end of it, when I'm done eating this, will I feel good about it? Like, does it serve my bigger purpose, my bigger motivation? It is that idea of just changing relationship with everything, actually with ourselves. That's one of the the themes I took from the book is change your relationship with yourself first, understand your motivation, understand what's driving you, that your why is bigger than your try, because that's what will actually drive you in the end. And then you give the exercises and then you give the diet and the suggestions. Yeah, because it it doesn't, like you, you were saying, we're so impatient, but if I could ask everyone, how are you doing now? If it works and your system's working, I don't want you to change anything because it's working for you and you are feeling joy now, then whatever you got going on, just keep going. But for most people, it's not working. So that quick fix is not going to make it happen. So that's why taking those little steps, and they're not even, like I said, a lot. It's going to take you three minutes a day 
you know, to do those little things and to change how you've, like you said, the relationship with yourself and your relationship with food. But you can see there's ways, I'm sure right now you could think of a lot of foods that you could get excited about eating and really feel good about it and not feel like you're sacrificing. Yeah. And that guilt thing is really important, I think, as well, because Bruce Lipton is coming on the show in a few weeks. He's an amazing man. He talks about the biology of belief and how your belief can manifest your reality physically on your cells because we're just bunches of energy and cells. And I thought that when you mentioned feeling guilty about food, so you eat it and straight away you feel guilty. You say, oh, I shouldn't eat that. It's the emotion of that that even makes it worse. There was some study that was done that said, let's say you're standing in line and everybody's eating ice cream and you're like, no, I can't, you know, I just look at an ice cream and get heavy. Well, maybe that's actually true because like you said, there's something emotionally that if you feel really bad or really guilty, that will hold on to those fat cells, you know, will hold on because you feel so guilty inside and judgment and not be able to lose weight versus when you do eat the ice cream, say, I made a conscious choice about eating this and I feel good about it. And, you know, this is going to be my special treat. You might actually lose more weight doing that than the other way of feeling, like you said, guilty and depriving yourself. I'm more and more seeing the evidence of this through the deeper I get with my self-education. But just to share before we start wrapping up, so you have lots of stuff in the book. You suggest food frameworks, etc. But also you give loads of circuits and you talk about your H30 system. It'd be great to share that. Okay. So th- as you can see, I like to keep things really simple, user-friendly, and something that you could do anywhere. Whether you know, you're know you on the road in a hotel room, you can't get to the gym in your own house. So when I created the H30 workout system, it, H, it all starts for your head, right? So that's what it is. And then getting it done in 30 minutes. But I created it so that there's three-minute intervals. So that one day, let's say you didn't have 30 minutes, you could just say, hey, I'm going to just do one interval. And it goes where you're doing power movement. So you're doing one movement, which is power cardio. It could be like, you know, you're jumping rope, doing different types of jumping jacks, right? Then you do one minute of a lower body power move, which could be doing squats with little dumbbells because I'm all about functional movement and getting as many muscles and burning as many calories as possible. And then you go to a one minute of an upper body movement. And the beauty of it is there's a million exercises out there. And what's great is you can find so many online. You know, I gave examples of what you could do, but you could do it with equipment and you could do it without equipment. And by cycling those three minutes in, you're not getting as bored, right? And it's constantly changing. And that's really important because some people could do the same routine every single day for an hour. And another person's like doing 20 minutes and they're getting more results because they're changing it up. So by doing this, it constantly allows you to change it up. And you don't have to, if you don't like one exercise, you don't have to do that exercise. And you, and also if you can't do the full mo- minute eight and then just you know, hey, I made it, made it through 30 seconds and then wait and do the next exercise. And that way you're not going, oh, I can't get on my bike outside. The weather's raining or I can't get to the gym. Like you have no excuses. You, you could, your minute 
of your cardio could be dancing, could be whatever you enjoy. My whole idea of the workout system is for people to do it with intention. That's why the head is so important, like to do it all out. So whatever you're doing, you want to be exhausted for you, whether you're somebody that is just starting out working out or you're the professional athlete for everybody for that minute, they should be doing it. So they're exhausted and they need a break to get into the next thing. And that's why I love it. Cause you could have so many different levels doing it so many different ways. And like I said, three minutes today, eventually you'll build up to 30. Fantastic. And on your website as well, you give lots of tips and you give lots of exercise. Where can people find you to find out more about your work, Sandy? Yeah, really easy. SandyJoyWeston.com. The one thing if I could add before we go away is what you were saying there. Before you hit the ground running, before your feet, if I could just have anybody do anything of everything we said, even for the next 30 days, before your feet hit the floor, when the alarm clock goes off and you hit the snooze button just for a few seconds, take a few deep breaths in and out and think about one word that you want to embody for the next month. It could be joy. It could be power. It could be passion. It could be fun. How do you want to show up in the world? And just think about that word. And then take a few breaths in and out and play your day out in your head. It's not going to take that much time. How do you want to show up in the world? Who do you want to be? Forget about the rest of the world. Forget about traffic. And then start your day. I guarantee you it will make such a huge, huge difference, no matter what hits you when you go down those stairs. Author of train your head and your body will follow reach any goal in three minutes a day sandy joy weston thank you so much for joining us aiden thank you so much i had a blast hope to see you in ireland soon